May the words I say and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So we've had a week off from Paul. We had seafarers and mission to seafarers and such last week. So I'm sure this week you're excited and ready for more on Paul. For those who weren't here for my introduction, well, the two introductory sermons, which were a little long, so I apologise for that, but I was trying to lay out the groundwork. Uh, some edited highlights of, and there are some copies of the first week uh, at the door, I hope. I hope I put them there. Um, some edited, edited highlights are that Paul is a Jew, and that is the most important thing to remember about him. When we read him, we often read him as if he gave up being a Jew. But he saw the world through Second Temple Jewish eyes, and he never stopped seeing the world through those eyes. He just reinterpreted what was going through the Christ event. He was a radical. We often think of Paul as some kind of conservatives, and lots of conservatives use Paul, but actually he was a radical. And we know that because if you read him, there are a whole lot of people who are saying, you've gone too far, Paul, you've just opened it up. You've said you don't have to follow the law anymore so you can do anything, and that's too far. We need to pull it back. Paul is the one saying we can just put the law to one side. And others, James and Peter, were the ones trying to pull him back. So he is a radical. We have to pay attention to him because about a quarter of the New Testament are letters ascribed to him. A quarter. That's a big chunk. Peter has... 3%, James, 3%, Paul, a quarter. So we have to pay attention to him, even though we know that some of those letters weren't written by him. Hebrews definitely wasn't written by him. There are a whole lot that we know were written by him, and Romans is one of those. There are some we're not too sure about, and some we're pretty sure he didn't write, but people using his name wrote, disciples further down the track, But still a quarter is a lot. And we need to remember that mostly his letters were written to particular people, people that he had lived among. So they knew him and he knew them. And uh, they were particular issues and uh, at a particular time. So when we read that, we need to remember those things. The reason we're looking at Paul is because we have... Uh, reading from the letter to Romans for 15 weeks. So we're about halfway through those 15 weeks worth of readings from Romans. And Romans is unique amongst Paul's writing. Because Paul hadn't been to Rome. So Paul didn't know these people and they didn't know him in the same way that the recipients of his other letters had known him. There wasn't that depth of relationship. So whereas the other letters were much more off the cuff and addressing particular issues... They were much more brutally honest and in your face. Romans is carefully thought out. Romans is laying out what he understands the gospel to be in a way that he doesn't do in any of his other letters. And the other point about Romans is that he's not writing to a single church. We often talk about the church in Rome, but it seems that there were churches in Rome some of whom were Gentile and some of whom were Jewish, and there was a lot of controversy around the place of Torah in the life of the followers of the way of Christ. A lot of controversy, heated debate and fighting. 
And Paul's letter was written to help them move beyond this controversy, as huge as it was, so that they could find common ground, come together and support his mission to Spain. They were of no use to him while they were fighting. They had to stop fighting and come together. I don't know what, I, what kind of idea you have of the early church. I think often, and I hear a lot of people saying, oh, well, the early church, we should go back to what that was like, get over all our fighting. But actually, the early church was in conflict all over the place. We can see that from Paul's letters, and we can see that from the Gospels as well. Matthew wrote the story we had today because his church was in conflict. John's church was in conflict. We know that from his gospel and the letters of John. He talks about the conflict. So it wasn't all peaceful and harmonious. Those little churches were fighting within themselves and between themselves. And we have stories like we had today, and there are a number of stories in Matthew about how to deal with conflict. And Matthew offers us this morning this wonderful little story which is often either ignored or misread. How often when we are in a disagreement or a conflict do we revert to, well, I am right and you are wrong. This is the way it should be. And if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. We do it all the time, don't we? Or as Matthew says... I am wheat man, and I am true and just and pure and good, and you are weedy, and you were wrong, and we should separate, so that I can be wheat man or wheat woman on my own, and I can be just and pure and good, and you can just carry on being wrong and weedy. How often do we do that? We do it a lot. And sadly, if we look through the history of the church, we have done that a lot. Probably the biggest example is 900 years ago when the ecumenical patriarch of Constantinople and the Pope mutually excommunicated each other. So the two halves of the church declared that the other half was not the church and not in communion with Christ. A rift that continues to today. There have been conversations about how to overcome that rift, but that rift is still there. Each side going, I am wheat man and you're weedy. In fact, it was a really trivial issue they excommunicated each other over. It wasn't that big a thing. But they couldn't get past the, I am right, you're wrong. And so they just separated. The Protestant Reformation is all about... That each side, I'm right, you're wrong. And today in the worldwide Anglican Church and in the Anglican Church in this world, in this land, we are doing exactly the same. We've put up our we're trying not to, but we are fighting. You are right, I am wrong, I'm weak man, you're weedy about the place of homosexuals and women in the life of the church. One of the issues we have to talk about at next week's regional conference is how we might, as an Anglican church in this part of the world, avoid that. So we have a report that's been written that we have to discuss and then we'll take those back to General Synod, or to Synod and then General Synod. And to all of this fighting, this I am right, you're wrong, Matthew says a couple of very important things. 
The first is, he says, you are not to judge who is wheat and who is weedy. That's God's job. Well, that's a bit disappointing, isn't it? I mean, it's much more fun when I can say, I am wheat man and you are weedy. And we do it. But to actually say, oh, well, maybe, maybe I can't say that and maybe, maybe I'm a little bit weedy as well. That's, that's not nearly as much fun, as it? It's pretty disappointing that Matthew says that. And then he says, and this is the bit we constantly keep ignoring, it is dangerous to pull apart because our roots are entwined. Don't separate. No matter how hard it is, don't separate. Because when you separate, you hurt each other. You need to wait to the end of the age and then God will sort it out. Not you. God will sort it out. That involves a lot of patience and humility, doesn't it? And that's hard work. And mostly we're not willing to do that work. And so we pull apart thinking that that's a good thing to do. Because then I can be Mr. Wheatman and pure and just and good. But Matthew says, don't. Well, that's Matthew's answer to conflict. What did Paul say to the Romans? Well, mostly in his other letters, he's in your face and just confronts the conflict head on. And he borders on, I'm right, you're wrong. But in the Romans, in the letter to the churches in Rome, he takes a very different tact. And he is slightly different from Matthew. Instead of saying that the roots are entwined, he says we are planted in the same soil. We are planted in the same soil. And that soil is what the letter to the Romans is all about. What is the soil that we are planted in? Well, as I said last time, that soil is the gospel of God. It's what the sermon two weeks ago was all about, the gospel of God, which can be summarised as God's righteousness or God's faithfulness. Now this is where we need to be a little bit careful when we talk about God's faithfulness. Last week Bonnie and I were at a church down south and we went to a service with a friend where they were told, read out a letter that their church had failed, like really failed, the engineering report it was less than 10% of the current building standards and it would have to be closed and probably demolished. So well, they had some time to kind of get a sense that that was about to happen. Uh, but in the course of the, the sermon, the priest said, if we are faithful, God will be faithful. Which is a fair enough statement, isn't it? We often think that. If we are faithful, God is faithful. With the kind of unsaid bit on the end of that to us. If we are faithful, God is faithful to us. Now is that what Paul would say? Is that what Paul is saying in his letter to the Romans? No. I thought that as he said it. I went, well that's an interesting statement. If we are faithful, God is faithful. Paul is saying, just, God is faithful. There is nothing in front of that. God is faithful. In the letter to the Romans, he says, 
In the story of the Hebrew Scripture, God was faithful. No matter what the people of Israel did, God was faithful. God is faithful in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. God's faithfulness is fulfilled. God's faithfulness is portrayed for all to see. God is faithful. The gospel of God is God is faithful. The soil in which we are planted into and in which our roots entwine is the soil of God's faithfulness. God is faithful not because of anything we do, but because that is the nature of God. That is God's righteousness. God is faithful because that is who God is. And there is nothing we can do to earn that or to stop that. It is simply that God is faithful. No precursor. So who or what is God faithful to? And again, we have to be, we have to be careful. Because in that little saying, the priest said, the implication is God is faithful to us. But again, that's not what Paul is saying. As I said two weeks ago, and as we heard again in this morning's reading, God is faithful to the covenant. To the covenant he made with humanity and creation through the people of Israel. That through the people of God, God would restore humanity and renew creation. God is utterly faithful to that covenant. And God has fulfilled that covenant in the purpose of Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. So in this morning's reading, Paul talks about humanity and creation groaning, waiting for the covenant to be fulfilled. That's a really important part of understanding Paul's understanding of the gospel. That is pure second temple Jewish outlook. So that under, undergirds everything he says, and that is how he interprets everything that the Christ event was about. The covenant through the people of God to restore humanity and renew creation. And so Paul is not saying that God is faithful to us alone. God is not going to be faithful to our hopes and dreams and desires as much as we would like that to be. Too often we reduce the gospel down to that God is faithful to the church, which is kind of what was being said last week, or to the people of to the church or to the individuals within the church. Paul's vision is so much bigger than that. And that's the point that Paul wanted the people in Rome to get. That God's faithfulness wasn't about them and their little churches in Rome. God's faithfulness was through them to all creation. It was a huge vision. And too often we have lost it and shrunk Paul down to being about us again. The soil then in which we are all planted is God's faithfulness to all humanity and to all creation. The story of God in scripture is the story, Paul is saying, of God's faithfulness to all creation and to all humanity. And again, he said it in this morning's reading, in baptism, we are baptized into this grand story. We become heirs with Christ. What he's saying is, you are now part of the story. 
You are now part of how God is faithful. If you see yourselves in light of the story, you become part of that story. The means by which God is fulfilling the covenant. And his letter to the Romans is all about how this understanding shapes our understanding of who we are and what we are to do. And when we forget this, when we forget who we are and what we do is shaped by this, when we forget that and when we begin to think that who we are and what we do is shaped by our own desires, no matter how noble and how good they are, when they're shaped by our own hopes and dreams for ourselves and for those we love, then, Paul says, we are in sin. No matter how good those hopes are. This is such a big vision. Paul's response to the conflict then in Rome was to offer a huge vision of what the gospel of God could be about. And I think he is also saying that we are all a little bit wheat and a little bit weed. And so he was saying to the, to the churches in Rome, to the Gentiles and to the Jews, well, you're all a little bit right and you're all a little bit wrong, so get over yourselves. And let's get on with what's really important, which is God's faithfulness. It's big, what Paul was saying. It's important. And I wonder if we have the courage to see our roots planted deep in the soil. The soil which is not about keeping the church going, but is about the restoration of humanity and the renewal of creation. And the small but important roles that each one of us and us as a church plays in that story. So I have this statement which I made up. So it probably needs rejigging because I use way too many words when I write things. Which is kind of what I think this is all about. Our roots are buried in the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness is to the covenant. The promise to restore humanity and renew creation through God's people. When we are faithful to this, we find life. So I invite you for the next minute or two to think about that, which is a summary of everything I've just said. And to think about, do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? How you see that at work? How you don't see that at work? How you'd like to respond to that? You can talk to your neighbour if you like, or if you just want to sit and think about it, you can do that too.